More than 3,500 people in West Africa have now been reported to have confirmed, probable, or suspected cases of Ebola virus disease, and more than 1,900 of them have died. And both those numbers are widely seen to be underestimates. There's currently no specific treatment for Ebola and no approved vaccine against it. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Anthony Fauci, Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Fauci has written a perspective article about Ebola and global disparities in healthcare resources. Dr. Fauci, your institute is beginning a phase one clinical trial of an Ebola vaccine co-developed with GlaxoSmithKline. Can you tell us about that vaccine and how does it improve on previous candidate vaccines? This is a vaccine that has, in studies done over the past year, shown to be very promising in an animal, non-human primate monkey model, in which animals that received the vaccine were completely protected against lethal challenge of Ebola, whereas the animals who did not all died. So the next step in the multi-step process of trying to develop a vaccine is to go into phase one trials in normal, healthy individuals, which is exactly the issue that you just mentioned now, that this past week here at NIH in Bethesda, we started the first of these immunizations in individuals between 18 and 50 years old. There'll be a total of about 20 people in the trial. The primary issue to address is safety, since as we all know, a vaccine is for people who are healthy and uninfected to determine A, is it safe? And B, does it induce the kind of response that you would predict would be protective? So that's where we are right now in the first phase of a multi-phase process in developing a vaccine. The vaccine is what we call a vectored vaccine. We took a chimp adenovirus vector that's non-replicating, and we inserted the genes of the glycoprotein covering of Ebola, and then that is injected into an individual, and that Ebola protein gene gets expressed. The protein is seen by the immune system, and an immune response is made. Prior to this vaccine, several iterations were tried over the years until we got to one that was quite immunogenic and induced protection in an animal. We started off with other vectors, a pure DNA plasmid with inserted genes, an adeno-5 human adeno vector that we switched away from because there's a degree of background immunity in the population, particularly in Africa, against adeno-5. So that's why we picked a chimp adeno for which there is no background immunity because we didn't want our vector to be neutralized before it had the opportunity of expressing the Ebola protein. So that's where we are right now, just having started this week the phase one trial. And as you say, it's a multi-phase process. So what does the calendar look like? Well, the calendar looks like this. The volunteers will be followed for 48 weeks. However, we will get the 20 of them vaccinated within a relatively short period of time. You have to pause after each third person to make sure you're not dealing with a little delayed onset toxicity adverse event. We will do this over the next few weeks and observe the individuals until the beginning of December, the end of November. And if, in fact, it turns out to be safe, no adverse events, and inducing an immune response that you would predict would be protective. Then we move on to the next phase, which is a larger phase, much more individuals, 
within a clinical trial context, what we call phase 2A. Now, it's interesting that since we're in the middle of an explosive outbreak, it is very likely that rather than just continuing doing it in non-risk people, we will try, if the infrastructure is available, to conduct a trial as we're developing it so that we can make it available, even though it hasn't proven to be effective, make it available to people at the same time that we're collecting data to actually determine if it ultimately turns out to be effective. And looking at the treatment front, there's been a lot of attention given to ZMAP, the experimental treatment that seven people with Ebola virus disease have received. And it's now reportedly been tested in a small group of monkeys with good results. Apparently, it would take a long time to produce an adequate supply of that treatment to be of any widespread use. Do you have any high hopes for that therapy? Well, again, um, one of the things I've learned over the years is that high hopes, even though that's a reasonable question you ask, don't really mean anything until you get the data. So this is an experimental cocktail of monoclonal antibodies directed again against the glycoprotein of the Ebola envelope. In the monkey models, as you mentioned, it shows to be extremely promising even when given five days after infection. The real critical issue is, although it has been given to seven humans, we really don't have any idea whether it's effective. The fact that there were no obvious adverse reactions in those individuals suggests that it will be safe, but we really don't know that. So we're going to have to do a clinical trial, hopefully in a way in which we could be attentive to and sensitive to the need to get therapeutics into people as quickly as is feasible, we still make sure that we learn whether they ultimately are effective and whether they truly are safe. The production capability is problematic. Right now, this is a situation where the expression vector has grown in tobacco plants, and the yield has really not been substantial, so that even with the lot that's being produced now, the numbers of doses that are going to be available at the end of a couple of months are really rather small. So there's a lot of activity now, a lot of investment being made by the company and by the government to try and see if we can torque that system to get the production either in that vector or switching over to something like a Chinese hamster ovary or Cho expression vector in order to get much, much higher yields. You've raised the question of how difficult it is to experiment with either vaccines or treatments in the midst of an outbreak. In another perspective article, Goodman considers the ethical, practical, and safety issues involved in that kind of study. What do you think the global health community should be doing with regard to untested treatments? First of all, Jesse Goodman's very nice perspective in the journal was called Studying Secret Serums Towards Safe, Effective Ebola Treatments, and he was referring to a time-honored historical practice of people who recover from infections to use their serum to passively transfer antibodies, which is something that's a little bit different than testing a completely untesting drug in individuals by applying it in a wide fashion. And what Dr. Goodman, who is a former high official at the FDA and has a lot of experience in that, what he's saying is that although we must pay attention to the need of people who are ill to get therapies that potentially could be effective, we really must, as best as we possibly can, within the framework of the infrastructure available as well as the conditions on the ground, try to learn something from these types of trials where we don't just distribute an untested, unproven 
given drug either for efficacy or safety because we feel that we need to give people something. That's true, we do, but we also need to make sure that we do no harm and at the end of the process, we learn whether it is effective or not. So that really is kind of a summary of what Dr. Goodman said. I agree with him completely. It'll be a delicate balance between trying to get things available to people and making sure that what we make available is safe and effective. Some people have suggested that while we're waiting for those answers, we repurpose drugs that are already in wide use for other diseases. Statins, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers have been suggested. Drugs that seem to reduce the risk of organ failure in patients with sepsis. What do you think of that idea for Ebola? Well, you know, it's very interesting. Theoretically, to try and do a trial, the idea, again, it's, it's a sensitive issue of just throwing everything there, including the kitchen sink, is not in the long run a good approach to this particular issue. Having said that, if there is something that shows some conceptual promise, there's no real compelling reason not to do it as long as you do it within the context of learning whether it works or not. Now, one of the things that people who read the journal, myself included, have not been aware of, but now I am aware of because of the fact that I'm dealing so closely with this epidemic, is that the infrastructure in the countries make it so difficult to do anything but just in a very difficult way take care of people to barely get them intravenous replenishment of body fluids lost by vomiting and diarrhea and in some cases bleeding. So the idea of giving someone an intravenous anti-TNF or anti-IL-1 beta or cytokine blocker or some other medication that you could barely get to people when you don't even have enough equipment to replenish them with normal saline is not going to be an easy issue. It really, people need to understand that the desperate situation of of the lack of a healthcare infrastructure there. So we should probably focus, and, and again, I've heard this from people who have spent months there, that what we need is to greatly intensify the standard infection control, care, isolation, contact tracing, protection of healthcare workers by personal protective equipment and supplying the minimum of things that one needs, getting an IV started and replenishing fluid. When people go into shock and get renal and hepatic failure, treat that if possible. Those are the desperate needs now. That's what's going to turn things around. And in fact, in situations in which this was made available to people, the mortality is considerably less than the mean mortality of the disease as a whole. Given that lack of resources in, in West Africa, in the affected countries, what do you see the international community doing? Some people have suggested that military assistance would be needed to really contain the outbreak. I'm not so sure it would be military, but there needs to be some sort of a command, control, and communication. That's a military terminology that they use, you know, C-cubed, but that's really needed. Uh, what really also is needed that is part of that command, control, and communicate is that no one organization, no one country, no one NGO, no one agency is going to stop this terrible outbreak. It has to be a highly intensified, coordinated effort of multiple parties, multiple countries, the African Union, the highly developed, resource-rich countries, the WHO, the World Bank, agencies from within countries like RCDC and USAID. It's got to be a major 
upscaling of the activity that's going on now, where you have not tens, twenties, fifty beds, but thousands of beds. Otherwise, the situation will remain out of control. Thank you, Dr. Fauci.